Hi, I'm Zachary Davis. I'm the host of two podcasts, Ministry of Ideas, which explores the philosophy behind everyday concepts, and Writ Large, a new podcast about the books that change the world. I love educational podcasts. I love listening to them and talking about them. I want everyone to have that chance, and so I've built a new platform called Lyceum, which makes it easy to discover great educational podcasts and have conversations about them. There are more than a million podcasts out there. We've done the hard work of sifting through them and finding only the very best education shows to listen to. Shows like the one you're listening to right now. So if you love learning, download Lyceum today on the App Store or Google Play, or visit us at lyceum.fm. That's L-Y-C-E-U-M dot F-M. So we're going to go into La Fortune here, get some coffee for the afternoon. Uh, How you doing? On any given day during the academic year, La Fortune Student Center is abuzz with activity. The Starbucks, in particular, often has a line several dozen deep. Every so often, it gets hard to see where the coffee line ends and the line for Subway begins. But this was no ordinary day. This was the day after classes were to resume after spring break. And in the La Fortune main lounge, where it can be hard to carry on a conversation because of the noise, the only sound to be heard were my footsteps. Out on God Quad, the spiritual center of campus anchored by the Golden Dome and the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, much the same. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Notre Dame announced the suspension of in-person classes March 11th. Much of the campus, including that La Fortune Starbucks, shut down soon after. And then on March 18th, the in-person classes suspension was extended through the semester. Students, of course, remained or returned home, most to stay-at-home orders there. Which meant a good deal of free time apart from their studies. And one student is filling that time by becoming involved in the fight against coronavirus in a part of the world he used to call home. Paolo, how's it going? Pretty well, you? Doing fine. Paolo Mazzara is a sophomore philosophy and global affairs major. Give me a little bit of background, because as I understand it, you're in Connecticut? Yes. So right now I'm in Stamford, Connecticut. But um, until two years ago, I was I lived in a city very close to Milan in Italy. And I was born there and I've been living there my entire life. Is that right? Okay. So you Thanks. moved to the States two years ago? Yeah, right halfway through high school. So I completed half of my high school education. Uh, exactly the city was Monza. It's uh, one of the cities that's been affected the most. And uh, I finished everything here in Connecticut. Yes. Okay. I still have family back there, though. So that's why I, I still uh, keep in touch with whatever is going on over there. And uh, sometimes I do back and forth. 
One day, a phone call came in to Paolo's mother from a friend who works in the Italian healthcare industry in Milan, one of the areas most impacted by COVID-19. And she was saying how uh, even though the World Health Organization protocols suggest that um, healthcare workers be given a certain kind of protective equipment to avoid uh, further infection, they were not being properly equipped and uh, that none of the workers among them knew English well enough to be able to write a message to send to the World Health Organization and uh, record an audio. So, of course, they called my mother because knowing that she lived in the United States, they would hope that uh, she would have a greater knowledge of the language and perhaps that she could do the work for them. And as soon as I heard it, I mean, my parents are certainly busier than I am. I'm just here at home. Yes, we could argue <laughs> at school, but it's not uh, as substantial as before. I said, no, I'll do it. Why not? It can it can turn into something interesting. It's uh, I like doing this kind of stuff. So immediately, I completely abandoned my schoolwork. I took a pause and uh, I started writing all this stuff down, translating documents, recording audio. I sent everything. And uh, I mean, something that took me not even so long, probably less than 20 minutes, and uh, that apparently served such a great purpose to them. And uh, that's just the first instance. The second one will refer mostly to... I mean, it's not as bad yet, but we have um, a family friend who's also, oh, sorry, not a family friend, a relative, actually, my uncle, who's a healthcare worker, but he doesn't work in Milan, he works in the South, and the situation is not as bad there yet, but we know it's going to get um, pretty critical soon. Mm. So, so far, what I've been doing is just um, interviewing various healthcare workers, and uh, wherever I can, help them coordinate uh, if they have to send something to organizations and they need to do all the work in English, I help them with that. If it's if it's just um, they want somebody to record this stuff and perhaps spread the information, it's something I do. Hmm. What are can you and I understand if you can't get into too much detail, but uh, what are some of the messages that you're translating? I mean, what are the requests coming, and then what are you sending on? Oh, I have one over here. It's, uh, I'm not going to read it to you, but I can perhaps tell you what the gist of it was. Yeah. It's simply that, um, and it is a situation, it's, uh, I mean, I don't expect you to be keeping up with the Italian news because, again, it's uh, it's in Italian, but most of the healthcare workers were complaining about the fact that they're getting infected and they're dying at uh, alarming rates. And the main um, argument was that they're such a, an important and uh, you such an important and essential resource at this time that they deserve to at least be protected properly. And so in these specific messages that I just um, that I just uh, found here, they, be, they were basically asking for um, more advanced types of uh, protective masks and protective gear because apparently the ones that they were given before were the, the single-use ones, which don't protect as much, apparently. I, I'm not an expert into the technicalities of how that worked. Sure. That was essentially a concern. And so they were send, they were basically sending this message of how they cannot work properly because the job brings them stress due to the fact that they're afraid of being infected, but it also bring, brings them stress because they're afraid that once they're home, they can also infect their family. And uh, while perhaps they may be younger and not show any symptoms, they still have, you know, elders to take care of and uh, they, they don't know what what can happen so mainly in this specific message that i just found uh, the complaint was that they didn't they didn't have uh, 
the right equipment and that the World Health Organization protocols need to be updated in order to match uh, the need of these workers. Hmm. We have doctors getting infected and dying at an alarming rate. And uh, there's already enough pressure on the healthcare system as it is with all the people that need help. If we also start losing healthcare workers, that's going to be a never-ending cycle of uh, not being able to give everyone the, the, the care that they deserve. In Italy, more than 8,000 healthcare workers have contracted COVID-19. More than 60 have died from the disease. Paolo says as the country reaches its peak infection rate, his work has picked up. He's now working with hospitals and healthcare workers across the country. But what about results? Has he seen any fruits of his labor? We cover that and what life is like for family and friends living in Italy after the break. With a Side of Knowledge is a podcast from Notre Dame that embodies a simple guiding principle. Everything's better with brunch. Our show features informal conversations between host Ted Fox, that's me, and all manner of scholars, makers, and professionals from both the university and elsewhere. We record each episode over a meal or coffee, ambient noise and all. You can find With a Side of Knowledge at provost.nd.edu slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you seen um, results? Well, I'm not going as far as to claim uh, right. translation for my work because that would be a lot. Like just the one student from Stanford, Connecticut now persuades the World Health Organization <laughs> to change its entire system. That's, that's a lot. But... I may have contributed somehow because, again, I keep following the news in Italy. Apparently, the healthcare workers actually were given uh, the, the new type of masks, exactly the kind that I was uh, requesting in, doc- in the document here. So instead of the mono-use here, there's this type of masks called FFP2 and FFP3, which are usually the ones that, I don't know if you're familiar with it, some people use when painting so that the fumes, mm. so the toxic fumes of, of the paint are not inhaled. Apparently, they were given to them. So the... Um, the equipment that they were using was updated somehow. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not going as far as to say, oh, that was me. Yes, that was all me. <laughs> That's, uh, of course, it's impossible and it's uh, it's unthinkable. But perhaps added on top of what other people have done, uh, and like added on top of what has already been done and what other people have been saying and all the concerns of everyone, perhaps I've played even if it, and in, in infinitesimal small role it, there was there was actually a result in all of this so it's like casting a vote you never know if your vote will be the decisive one in uh, turning the tides but it's still something that can prove to be useful so again again i don't know if it's causation but yeah i saw the results so far and i'm pretty pleased it's uh, it's a motivation to continue doing this and perhaps to be even more mm-hmm. as you as you saw this uh pick up in italy and of course now it's picking up here and especially in, you know, your near your home, uh, mm-hmm. what what was going through your mind just kind of watching from a distance? What went through my mind is that some people are still uh, or were not taking it seriously when it got bad in Italy. They were 
some people were throwing out the idea that, oh, it's made in Italy only because they have a, a higher rate of elders and therefore we shouldn't be warrior. There were students who were complaining about the fact that they had planned their spring break for months and they were not willing to interrupt uh, their fun just because of uh, a normal cold, which of course is not what it is, otherwise it wouldn't be causing uh, such panic. And yeah, it's, um, I think people, at least as Connecticut is concerned, are kind of becoming more aware. Also, they're forced to become more aware because now businesses are closing down and uh, it is what it is. It's not like you can, you can do anything to change that. When you uh, talk to family and friends uh, back in Italy, what are you hearing? So, um, initially, I'd say people got scared a lot. They almost uh, saw it as uh, an apocalyptic event because, of course, like uh, abandoning um, your routine and what you do usually can be a lot. Like you're, one day you're going to school and you're seeing friends and you're walking around and you're doing everything freely and you're driving around. And the other, you're essentially forced to stay home unless you have, um, unless you have a, an essential uh, matter to attend. So it was a lot. They're getting used to it. They're getting kind of... Um, the, the stress is increasing because now it's uh, everything that is being talked about in the media, among friends, among family. So it's not as much as, a, as a, an environment where fear pervades people, but it's mostly stress because, again, when you keep hearing about this thing day by day, even, even though you know that it's not perhaps going to affect you because, for example, I FaceTimed the other day. All my schoolmates were still... Uh, we're still closed at home and have to self-quarantine and uh, it's, it's mandatory, it's imposed by the state. What I'm hearing mostly from my classmates is that they're not worried for themselves, but they're worried for their parents, their grandparents. And again, they're not necessarily afraid, but it's, uh, it's a lot of stress because after this is for them, I think the third week, they've been forced to self-quarantine at home. And once you realize that your life changes dramatically, all of a sudden, and um, going back to, um, let's say, what is considered normal is not up to you. It gets very stressful because you're just waiting for it to end. So now, now, now we'll see. I, I, I keep in touch with them. They're just a lot of stress. They say that they hear ambulances going back and forth every day, which uh, I don't know. It wouldn't make me the most calm person on earth. Mm-hmm. What um, What do you know about? COVID-19 now that maybe you didn't before you started uh, down this path of uh, interviewing medical professionals and providing translations? Well, um, to be completely fair, and I mentioned it earlier, in the very, very early stages before it even uh, came to Italy, I was among the people who was just um, underestimating mm-hmm. the extent of... Um, of this virus. I, I simply thought it would be something that um, would go away in a matter of uh, three, four weeks, that it was just, uh, yes, slightly more grave than the seasonal flu, but it, I thought it would be something that would go away immediately. And now we went from uh, an endemic that was mainly contained within uh, China to a pandemic, and uh, I, I was not expecting this, to be honest. It's a uh, I knew there were going to be a few cases around the world, but I was not expecting the thousands of deaths. I was not expecting the, the enormous pressure on the healthcare system, which is something that I got to experience firsthand by interviewing the, the professionals. 
and also like I, I was actually informed um, as to how the virus works and uh, the reason why it's so hard to develop a vaccine or to find the medicine and uh, and also as to why we need to actually listen to the scientists, to what the scientists are saying in the profession and not to the to the fake news or to the to people who claim to know it all, but in reality, nobody knows it all. Mm-hmm. So by intervening in healthcare professional, I actually understood uh, that, it's, that it's tough for them because not only the work they do, but also the decisions that they have to make. Because apparently there are, there are documents circulating just among them right now that are advising them, and uh, that's that's going to be, I think, uh, an ethical matter that would be remembered in history and would be talked about for um, decades to come. Some of them are being advised to just give treatment to those who have the best chance of making it, which, of course, in the case of Italy, translates into help the younger or necessarily not, not, not just forget the older, but just give them as much care as they need just for you to be able to see whether giving them care at all can actually help. So I think it's uh, it's tough for healthcare professionals to be in a situation of uh, having to communicate with their patients that they're not going to be able to provide them care, even though they're at hospital. And that's, that's essentially their job. And that's essentially their oath that they swore when they became doctors that they would be helping everyone. Right. It's tough for them to be able to make that decision. Again, it's tough for them to endure the stress that comes with Working in that environment due to the fear of being infected, but also working in that environment and coming home and infecting other people. So it's uh, it, it's tough for them. I say there, there's there's many of my peers that I talked to that were considering uh, going to medical school after college, and uh, many of them have, been, and have started saying that, oh, after this, no, no more medical school. I'd rather mm-hmm. go to law school or graduate school and do whatever else. It's tough because even again, reading these documents where the doctors have to make all these decisions and all the people dying and all the consequences that come with it. It's um, it's funny how I'm a philosophy major. So there's sometimes in class, we, we do all these scenarios, these ethical scenarios. Oh, would you sacrifice the three people to save the one patient, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these experiments. And as long as it's something abstract that you just talk about in class, I mean, yeah, I mean, the decision you make is not, who cares at the end of the day? Like it's okay. Like I may change my mind tomorrow, and there will be no consequence aside from the fact that the professor might think I'm not, uh, I'm not consistent with my beliefs. When you actually have to translate all these thought experiments in real life, it's um, it's hard because, like again, having to decide saving the younger person over the older person because they have a better chance. And that's how it is in practice. While in theory, we all we spend all this time talking about uh, human dignity and how we should. Treat people equally and they all have the same uh, worth in terms of who gets to live and who gets to die it, it's hard I, I, you read these things and uh, whatever scenario you consider it never feels right like it uh, even if it's just one person dying or five thousand people dying or even more right now it's uh, it never feels right pablo chose to come to notre dame after a conversation with an alumnus and a visit to campus where he said the statue of the Virgin Mary atop the Golden Dome reminded him of a similar statue atop the Milan Cathedral. He calls the desire to serve through knowledge the Notre Dame factor, but is quick to point out that in the midst of a global crisis, plenty of others worldwide are also answering that call. I think it is part of the Notre Dame factor to have um, 
a desire to help your community and be there for your community and um, you know try to use um, whatever you have at your disposal to be able to help try to use uh, your privileged position in the sense that right now I'm not in Italy I'm not a doctor I, I have a lot of free time so try to use that in order to help others so I feel like that's part of the Nordic factor but on the other hand uh, my brother is a, a junior in high school he could be doing the same thing as well so what I'm going to say is that the Nordic factor may be a motivation and a driving force behind what I'm doing but that does not mean that uh, without it you could you could not be doing the same if not more and I don't know I, I hope this can prove that um with free time when you give students free time you can actually have uh, something good out of it that you don't necessarily need to fill a schedule with homework and then stuff like that because uh, if you have a lot of knowledge but you cannot translate it into something practical or into helping others which is probably one of Notre Dame's mission to educate students to be able to be a force for good and make a change in the world when when you show that you give free time to students and something productive can come out out of it and not necessarily just video games and Netflix For more on the university's response to COVID-19, visit coronavirus.nd.edu. This podcast is produced by the Office of Public Affairs and Communications. I'm your host, Andy Fuller.